you got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Open it up to Acts chapter 20. Actually, yeah, I will take it. Okay, how's everyone doing? All right. How's everyone doing? Oh, okay, good. Awesome. Uh, it usually takes a couple, couple times to make sure we're engaged. Uh, excited today to be able to preach to you. It feels like it's been forever. Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, two weeks ago, right, it was Campus Sunday. So we had an awesome time, good pancakes, and Grayson taught uh, the message. And then last week, a bunch of us were in Chicago for uh, homecoming gathering for the teens. Had a great time. So Christy and I took a van full of teenagers uh, to Chicago. Uh, so that was an experience, which was awesome. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, so Eli... Uh, preach there, and so I get to preach here, so I've got three messages stored up, so let's see, 35 times 3 is uh, about 150, so a couple hours worth, ready? Okay, that wasn't quite as enthusiastic, don't worry, uh, we'll be done in normal, kind of normal-ish time, uh, but it is fun, actually, I think Grayson and Eli preaching makes a point that you know, it's really good and healthy for us to have multiple preachers at church, amen? Especially these young guys, because they're of a different generation, and so they speak a different language, right? So when I pull out like 70s and 80s illustrations and songs, uh, all the young people aren't like, uh, um, so anyway, so that's good. And uh, it, it, it makes the point that we elevate the Word of God, not the messenger of God. Amen? amen? Can I get an amen? It's not about personalities around here. It's about the Word of God. And we don't come to church because of a certain preacher and their personality. And a lot of churches are built on that. I don't know if you know that, but a lot of people go where they like the sermon, and that's about it. And uh, we don't do that here because half the time we don't like the sermon. No, uh, <laughs> Because we're family, amen? And uh, um, so, yeah, awesome. So I know they did an outstanding job, and I was so excited about Grayson and Eli and Lee up in Duluth, all of these young men becoming ministers and uh, leading churches uh, someday. So that's exciting. Okay, today's exciting uh, for another reason. Today is my lovely wife Christy's birthday. So happy birthday to you, hon. Uh, turns 29, <laughs> looks like it, but a little older. Jesse's birthday too. Happy <laughs> and Meg. Okay, we gotta sing. Happy birthday to Christy, Jesse, and Meg. Happy birthday to and who? Me and Kenny. Kenny Tubwell too. Christy, Jesse, Meg, Meg, and Kenny. Happy birthday to you. All right. This is a historic day. Wow. Man, I did, forgot about that. Okay. All right. Let's just get in the Bible here. Um, so uh, we're walking through the book of Acts. And uh, uh, actually, we're going to take a step back 
because Eli kind of got into Acts 21. I want to go back to the end of Acts chapter 20 today um, and uh, look at this message that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. And the title of our message is Spiritually Emboldened Relationships. Spiritually Emboldened Relationships. The whole theme that we're walking through in the book of Acts is from ordinary to emboldened. And how all of us are just ordinary Joes and Janes, but yet when the Spirit comes on us and in us, there's this amazing power. Amen? There's a power that is not of ourselves that takes over, and this power works within us, and it works through us as a fellowship. And so we are powerful in this world. We are powerful as a group, but it's not because as individuals, we're just ordinary Joes and Janes, um, but together we're powerful because of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that makes us a force to be reckoned with is the re kind of relationships that the Spirit uh, um, works in, works through and works in and forges this kind of unity that we have in the church. And that's what Kevin described, that this isn't just church we come to on Sunday. This is our family. Amen? This is our family. We are one. This is God's family and our family. And a lot of churches, we don't want to be like a family. We want to be a family. Big difference, right? Okay, and family really uh, loves one another. And so this message is actually, Acts 20, verse 17 through chapter 20, the end of the chapter, is the only sermon, the only speech recorded in the book of Acts that's addressed to exclusively a Christian audience. Okay, um, all of the other message, there's six evangelistic sermons, so messages that are addressed to those who are not in the church, uh, about the good news of Jesus. And then there's eight legal defenses in the book of Acts, defending Jesus, defending uh, the church, etc. Uh, so this is the only message addressed to the church itself. It's addressed to the Ephesian elders or uh, ministers or presbyters or shepherds, whatever you want to call them. Um, it's addressed to them from Paul, but it can be absolutely be applied to all of us because the reason is because the Bible throughout the, uh, the whole Bible refers to the family of God, the people of God. And we in the New Testament are clearly instructed that we have responsibilities to one another, love one another, encourage one another, be devoted to one another, have sincere love for one another, et cetera, et cetera. There's an incredible amount of one another passages that communicate that church isn't just about a, a preacher or a minister kind of doing all the work of the ministry, but that the church is about the family doing the work of the ministry with one another. Does that make sense? And so we are all engaged. So this message, though, specifically to the Ephesian elders, can be applied to all of us in how to have really um, Christ-like relationships, emboldened relationships. Hebrews 3, verse 12 13 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you um, have a sinful, unbelieving heart, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So we are all, we have a responsibility to see to it that each other we're doing okay. Amen? 
And that's a, a responsibility, responsibility that we uh, take seriously. All right. So spiritually emboldened relationships. Let's read in Acts chapter 20, verse, we're going to start in verse 17. For Miletus, he, Paul, went to, uh, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. If you want to be a servant in the Lord, which every Christian is a servant, amen, then you're going to serve, you got to serve with humility, which, either, which means you either are humbling yourself or you're going to get humbled. Those are your only two options. We better, we better be, it's much better to humble yourself than to get humbled. Are you with me there? So you're going to serve with humility. Uh, you're going to serve with tears, okay? Uh, and trials. So it's hard. Being a Christian, uh, life has trials, doesn't it? You know, it's so interesting. Okay, special side note. I just got to say this. It's so interesting how when hardship comes in our life, what is our typical reaction to hardship? Why, what did you say? Why is this happening to me? Overwhelmed, discouraged, right? We just get, oh, Life's hard. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says to consider trials as pure joy. So when we are spiritual, when trials come on, we're like, trials! Yeah! I got some hardship in my life today. Woohoo! Right? When the Packers score a touchdown, do you go like, oh, touchdown. I mean, I know it's rare, but... uh, uh Sorry. Um, so, no, there's joy. So, listen, one of the things that trials reveal, when we respond that way to trials, what that reveals is that we have a worldview that life is meant to be a big valley fair ride. That God should just be, just smooth it on out, give me comfort and joy and peace and happiness because I have an inalienable right to be happy and I'm going to pursue it. Anyone gets in my way, out. Okay, because I should be happy. Um, and when I get suffering or hardship in my life, something's wrong. Something's wrong with God because he doesn't love me anymore. Because really the purpose of God is just to bless my life. So something's wrong with God or something's wrong with me. What did I do wrong? I sinned. I don't know. You know, it's like, actually, no, nothing's wrong. Nothing is wrong. Therefore, don't be surprised at this painful trial that you were suffering, right? Are you with me there? Don't run off to some drug to fix your discouragement. Run to Jesus. <laughs> okay, now, hey, I know sometimes, okay, boy, but that needs a qualifier, doesn't it? Okay, I know sometimes we need chemicals to balance. Okay, I'm all for that. Okay, amen? Yeah, jeez, that was quick. Um, Yet, our world does have a fixation and an addiction to feeling good. And the Bible says, life's just not, that's not the way life is. Okay, sometimes life feels bad. And actually, there's a purpose. 
for it and through it. And it makes us rely on God and not ourselves. It forms Christ's character in us. It makes us look to a hope of eternal life, eternal joy, God's kingdom restored on earth because this current age isn't the final destination of our souls. Amen? Amen. Okay. Okay, what, that wasn't anywhere even in the sermon. Okay, so trials. Paul's like, yeah, trials, tears, humility. This is all part of being a Christian. Um, which came on me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me, let me interject right there. My message, Paul's message is repentance and faith in Jesus. Interesting how those are together. You can't have faith in Jesus without, and I, I like the faith in Jesus part. I don't really like the repentance part. So what I'll do is I'll believe in Jesus, get my uh, eternal fire insurance on, and then I'll just go on and keep on living the way I want to live. That's what I was taught for 20 years, right? But that, funny, that's not what the Bible actually teaches. The Bible says if you're going to have faith, in Jesus and follow Jesus, then you got to turn from sin, repentance, right? It's two sides of the same coin. Amen? So that's what he says. And verse 22, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that um, bonds and afflictions await me. Now that's not a very encouraging sermon from the Holy Spirit, but I appreciate him being honest. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish the co my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink, did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for you yourselves and for all the flock among yourselves, um, excuse me, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. See, we are not uh, here uh, because we're just hanging out at church. We are a group that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. 
In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. When we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kaz and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara and on to Jerusalem. The NIV says at the very end, it says, when, after we had torn ourselves away from them. Okay, so I wanted to include that. So spiritually emboldened relationships. Let's draw from this text. Let's draw from the mind of the Spirit and the mind of Paul. What was, what, what was his convictions? What was his mind such that created these incredibly uh, deep and strong and edifying relationships? Okay? Um, and let's imitate that. So this is interesting. This is one of the few times that the Apostle Paul, kind of the veil is taken away, and we get to see behind the curtain into what, is, what are his thoughts? What, was, what is he thinking? Why is he doing what he's doing? Okay? Uh, what is his motivations? What are his feelings? And uh, um, this, this chapter here in some, some writings in, in Corinthians kind of reveal Paul really opens up his heart. So uh, let's talk about this, not holding back. So often we see in this text, Paul repeatedly states, I didn't shrink back. I didn't hold back. And so point number one is not holding back our togetherness. So how do we have these relationships? We need to not hold back. All of us tend, when it comes to relationships, it's very easy for us to hold back, to withdraw within ourselves, to shrink back. Because relationships can be hard. Relationships can be scary. Relationships are vulnerable, okay? And um, we tend to hold back. Let's talk about not holding back our togetherness, our words, and our tears, okay? So first of all, togetherness. Verse 18, Paul says, hey, I want you, we need to be together. I'm not just going to pass by Ephesus. Come on, guys, come on. We need to have some together time. And then he says, I want you to remember how I was with you the whole time. Verse 20 says, I was with you publicly and house to house. Okay, verse 31 says, for night and day for three years, I was with you, admonishing you, teaching you, testifying. Verse, and then verse 36, we see them, this last moment of togetherness. We see that they, he knelt with them. He prayed with them. He wept with them. They kissed uh, one another. And when they finally had to depart, it was like a ripping of hearts. It was a tearing away. See, we're not going to have relationships unless we simply get ourselves together. Are you with me there? Acts 2 says they were constantly together. Together they met day. Acts 4, all the believers were together. It's hard to have good, deep relationships when we're never together. Right? And this is where, you know, the church I grew up in, it was like, go to church Sunday morning because I had to, right? It's like, oh, 
I mean, I literally, I didn't count summer vacation to start until Sunday afternoon because I was in prison until I had to go to church, <laughs> okay? And, uh, but you know what? It's different now. I love coming to church. I love being with you. I, I missed last week. It's like, it's like, I can't wait to be hopped out of bed this morning. I can't wait. And I walked up the stairs. And before that, Tim Bernicke was in fishing in Canada with his family. So I haven't seen Tim. And I'm like, man, it's good to see you. Like, it's not right for us not to be together. It's weird. Okay? Because, um, amen, we're friends uh, being together. Are you, how often are you simply with your brothers and sisters? What we try to do here is we try to come together for Sunday and worship God, but we also come together during the week. We have midweek or we have Bible talks, and then we also come together in what we call discipleship groups, which means we get together and we ask how each other's going. We read the Bible together. We pray together. We try to, we try to imitate this right here. We try to put into practice these one another uh, relationships. You know, it's very common in our Western individualistic society and worldview, one of the huge teachings that's entering into our world is this individual spirituality, okay? Now, I love spirituality, amen? Uh, uh, being spirit, that part is oh so good. Yet the individual part is like, I got my connection with God, and it's a personal one, which means no one knows about it, and I'm just doing it on my own, and I don't, I don't like organized religion because they're evil, those organized ones. I don't know why. I mean, would it better be unorganized religion? I don't quite. <laughs> okay, that was a joke. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's what we do here. We tell bad jokes, and then we laugh about how bad they are. Okay? But this Western individual spirituality is, is overcoming our conviction to be together, okay? And that kills the family. It kills the church. Could you imagine my, when it's family dinner time and Jordan says, I'm just going to eat in my room. I'm like, no, you're not. Actually, <laughs> You're going to eat with us because we are a family and we talk and we need each other and we bounce off each other, uh, sometimes physically. Um, <laughs> And we have a good time, all right? And he's like, well, man, how, you mean, you, I got to come to church, church three times a week? And I remember there's one of, one of the brothers recently was like, that's a lot of church. And <laughs> we joke about, that's a lot of church. Uh, uh, and, and we could say, no, you don't need to, you don't have to come three times a week. You know, if you, if you have that spirit, you've totally missed the point about having to come. I love to come. I want to come. It's life. It's good. Um, amen? Um, how often do we come? Okay, so first of all, emboldened relationships takes togetherness. Togetherness. Are you prioritizing being together? Being together. Okay? Um, if I could have Mr. Mike Linstead come up on the stage. There he is. So... For this next point, I am going to uh, have a conversation here with Mike. He, he's, he knows this. Uh, um, so 
Our next point, we're going to talk about embolden words to one another. Embolden communication with one another. And Paul says, listen, have a responsibility to not shrink back, to communicate and to be honest and truthful and bold with one another. So um, it made me think about Mike because Mike is a fireman, okay? Mike is a fireman. And I want to, here, you can have this. Hello. I, I want to ask <laughs> Mike, I want to do a little interview here about being a fireman as an illustration for this point, okay? Um, Mike, tell us why you became a fireman. I became a fire a firefighter because you know I, I just I love my community. I like to help out, and I just I like the sense of family. Okay. Um, what would you do? So let's say you are called to a fire, and you are informed that there is someone trapped in the house. So right what, away, what happens? We're in the we're in the engine getting ready to go, and you get the the dispatcher that there's a person inside. Right away, everyone has a sense of, you know, let's get going, let's talk about what we're going to do, let's pull a line, and let's, let's get the job done. So pretty much we're all on the same page, and we're just we're going to work together to make sure we get that one goal and we won't let anything stop it. Hmm. And um, talk about the, the, like, when you go, at the risk and the, that, the thing you told me earlier. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. So what we talk about in the fire service is risk a little to save a little, risk a lot to save a lot. So in, you know, in a case you have an abandoned building and nothing's in there, that's a low risk, and we'll probably stay on the outside and put it out if it's big enough. But if, say, if you have a, you know, a building with kids in there, risk a lot to save a lot. So in the aspect of the kids, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to take our tools. We'll go through walls, ceilings, floors, anything we can do to get them, and that'll be our main goal. And pretty much that's what we'll, we'll only do is just go until we get that goal. So does it enter your mind that this could cost you your life? Actually, no. This doesn't go through your mind because you're, you're so into your goal that that's all you're going to do with you know, your brothers and sisters. and you know, You're going you're gonna to save the person, get them out of the building, and make sure they're in a they're safe position. So in, ever, in, in this process of becoming a fighter, firefighter and thinking about it, did that thought ever enter your mind? Um, I haven't had a situation with, you know, an actual rescue a human. I've had a couple cats and dogs. But usually when you're a day after, a week after, you're, you're sitting with your friends talking about it, that's usually when you think about it. But, yeah, you never th think about that on the scene. You just you get ready to go. Okay. So what would you think, Mike, of, of a firefighter who you're in your team, you're there, and you have the tools, you have the water, you have the equipment, you're dressed, you're ready to go, and then it comes time to go save this child. What would you think of a firefighter who at that point held back? Well, you'd be hurt, you know. We work together, we're a big family. The fire service, you know, is pretty parallel with the church family that you're all working together. You're one family, you're one body, and you all have to be working, you know, at the, the highest point you can be. So if someone's not able to do a task, you don't just let them go and push them on the side. You need that person, they're kind of like, Everybody, every person in the church has a you know a hand, ear, head. They all have a role. So you you, know, you get the partner together and you just you know encourage them. You get them going. You know this is this is what we need to do, and uh, just get them going. You know yeah. it's it's a big task and something that needs to be done. Yeah. At one point, I remember you said when we were talking about this earlier, you said how you would feel about if that person held back. You remember? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, you'd almost feel hurt. You know, because it's, it's a big family, and you're, you're together, and, you know, by the time you're ready to do what you're trained to do, that you're not going to do it. It just, 
you know, it, it also just it puts you down. I mean, it breaks you down and it, it hurts the, the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would your advice be to that fireman that just struggles with to have courage in that moment? What, what would, how would you encourage them? Um, pretty much that, you know, we're a big family that we're all together, that, you know, no one's going to fail on their own. We're going to bring you together. We'll rise you up. We'll, we'll train more. We'll talk about it. And we'll just, we'll get, you know, show the sense of belonging and how it really should be. Yeah. Amen. Um, do, you, do you feel like you consider yourself a hero? No. <laughs> you know, you always see it on TV in Chicago Fire and, you know, you get the whole hero thing. But no, we're, we're, we're really not. You're just, you know, you're doing your job. You're another person and just, you know, just serving the Lord. Amen. Well, thank you, Mike, for your, for your service. We appreciate you. Thank you, man. Good job, Mike. I also want to thank uh, Carol, used to be a firefighter, and uh, Tom, as well, as a firefighter. And uh, we appreciate all you guys. And uh, we have, it, they'll, they'll never say we're a hero. They're, I'm just doing my job, right? But, but you are heroes, and you're our heroes, and we appreciate you. Um, you know, the idea of a firefighter having what he needs to get into that house and rescue that child, right? The idea of that person having the water, having the tools, having the team, having the training, and have gotten up to this moment and then shrinks back and holds back. Um, that would be so, they would feel so discouraged. They would feel like they would be so hard on themselves. Um, but we would not respect that. We would not, we would feel like to withdraw into yourself at that moment is not okay. It's not okay. And this is what, that's the, that's the sentiment that Paul's communicating to the Ephesian elders. He's saying, I, we have, I have the words of God, the spirit of God. We have the gospel of grace. So the world is on fire and we have what the world needs. We have the message of Jesus. We have the spirit of God in us. I have the training from Gamaliel, from the brothers. And I came to Ephesus and I didn't shrink back from giving anything that would be helpful, any message, any words of encouragement, etc. You know, to shrink, this word shrink in the Greek means to withdraw oneself, to be timid, to cover, to shrink. And, you know, when it comes to relationships, it's so easy for us just to stay on this level of shallowness and not to have the courage to dive into the deep end. This is me. This is my sinful nature. This is what I struggle with, just to kind of stay at this where everything's all good, right? Uh, um, I saw a movie one time uh, by uh, De Niro. It was entitled, "It's Everything's Not Okay, something like that. Everything's not okay. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. This is our default value. And sometimes, especially at church, because we feel this pressure to, like, be churchy or whatever, <laughs> right? And, and I remember one time talking with a friend of mine uh, who, who went through a divorce, and we looked back, and, and uh, uh, you don't know this person, so don't try to think who it was, okay? And... and uh, 
And it's like, what, ha- what happened? Years ago, it was like in retrospect, what happened? And they said, just was struggling, struggling in different re- areas of our life. It's like, well, did you talk to the guys about it? And his response was heartbreaking. He said, oh, no, no, no. The guys, I meant the church that he went to. No, no. That's the last place you talk about that sort of thing. And it broke my heart and it gave me conviction that, no, it's not the last place. It's the first place that we need to come and talk and not shrink back within ourselves. Those who, from timidity, hesitate to avow what they believe, to be unwilling to utter from fear, to shrink from declaring, to conceal, to dissemble. In verse 20, Paul says, I didn't shrink back from declaring, from teaching, from testifying. Verse 25 through 27 says, I didn't hold back, I didn't shrink back from preaching, from testifying, from declaring the whole purpose of God. In verse 31, it says, uh, um, it says, therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. It says, I didn't hold back. And, and, and again, there's times what we, we need to hear, we need to have these relationships where we don't hold back and we learn from one another what we need to build one another up in the faith. A lot of times we need words of encouragement, but we hold back. When was the last time you thoughtfully really sat down with someone, and not says not words of flattery like, you're awesome, I just love you. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you thought through what encourages this person. You said, I respect this and this about you. When you did this, I saw Jesus in you. The impact you've had on me that you're having on your neighbors, on our congregation, it's inspiring to me. Thank you. When was the last time that you didn't hold back from giving those words of encouragement? How about words of uh, admonishment? Um, you know, uh, uh, I was in a meeting the other day, and, uh, um, and, and, and we were talking, and we were, we, there were some feelings, and there was like sh- some shared, and then some other feelings, and some concerns and perspectives and that sort of thing. And finally, at one point, uh, one of the sisters actually said to her fellow sister, she said, she said, sister, now I'm going to challenge you. And I just sat back, I was like, whoa. Like, and it was so kind and so sweet. And the other sister was so cool. She's like, awesome, tell me. Ooh, that's key, right? It's like, well, no one's challenging me. Maybe because you're so prideful and you're hard to talk to. She was like, oh, bring it. And they did, and they had an amazing Interaction was so good. Um, admonishing words of his grace to build one another uh, up. And wait, here, Paul reveals his convictions behind this. Listen to this. It says in verse, um, verse 26. I want to read this. It says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. What was that? I am innocent of the blood of all men. What, that's kind of odd. Like, what, what is he talking about there? All right? Well, if you, if you read Ezekiel chapter 33, you know, we're going to go ahead and read it, okay? I'm not just going to refer to it. 
Turn your Bibles over to Ezekiel chapter 33. This is what Paul's talking about. This was the burden that was on his heart. This is what motivated him. He said, oh, I don't know, this is hard for me because I'm a kind of a conflict avoider. Aren't we all? Who of us just, oh, just give me some conflict today. Just feeds my soul. I'm a conflict avoider. I'm a people pleaser. Join the club. Okay? I know what I want to do today. I want to present the whole truth of God and have everyone hate me. That will be the best day of my life. Okay, we're all conflict avoiders. We're all people pleasers. So there's got to be some sort of conviction deeper than our sense of security that will push us past those things to say what needs to be said. So this is what Paul meant when he said this. Ezekiel 33 says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land, the people of the land take one man from among them and make, them, make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But, now another but, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Okay, let me... Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for the house of Israel. Say, well, I'm not a watchman for the house of Israel. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. We all are. Okay? Hebrews 3, Colossians 1.28. We are all responsible to one another. Okay? Um, it, you know, Cain tried to pull that when God said, hey, Cain, uh, where's your bro? And Cain said, well, am I my brother's keeper? God's like, uh, yeah, yeah, you are. Now, he didn't say that. That's not in the text. But that's clearly the implication. That we are, yes, Cain. And, and, and by the way, not okay to kill him. Your little uh, excuse thing doesn't work with me. Because I actually saw what happened. And his blood's crying out to me from the ground. Okay? So when we say, not my problem, man, they got issues, don't they? Yeah, they do. Let's gossip about it, but let's dare not actually talk to them about it. Am I my brother's keeper? God says, yes. That's why I put you together. So you can communicate to one another what needs to be communicated. So you can save one another from each other's sinful. Now, does that mean you're responsible for the other person? No. They're responsible for themselves. But we are responsible to the other person. Big difference. Amen. What are we responsible to? Say, to sound the trumpet, right? That's what he's saying. If you sound the trumpet, if you're involved in one another's life and you sound the trumpet, then, and then they don't listen to you, then their blood is on their own head. But if I tell you to sound the trumpet and you say, not my problem, and then, and then they die because of their sin, then, yes, they die because of their sin, and I'm going to deal with you. 
because you loved yourself so much that you didn't care enough to get in that burning house. I gave you the water, I gave you the tools, I gave you the training, but you shrunk back because you cared only for yourself, watchmen of Israel. And if that's our culture, we're done. Are you with me? But if we have a culture where we're committed to one another, we love one another, we get engaged with one another, and we have the difficult conversations. And it goes along with us. I don't know how to say this, but I got to say something. Right? Amen? Okay. It's actually serious business. It's like, why is he so serious? Because it's serious business. Remember what, said, what Mike said? Low, low what? Low, low risk. So, no, it's no, no. It's, risk a little, save a little. You know what? We're not trying to save each other's pocketbook. You know, Mike's not going to risk his life for a, a photo album. Oh, it really means a lot to me. Sorry, um, you should have put him on the cloud. <laughs> Welcome to the 21st century. I'm not risking my life for that. It's like, no, 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 my child's in there. No, you can't put a child on the cloud. Okay, no, my child's in there. It's like, okay, I'm in. I'm going to do my job. We'll bring that child out. So we're talking about one another's souls for eternity. And Jesus felt it important enough to come down from heaven and go all the way to the cross and shed his blood. So we better look at that and be inspired to engage deeply with one another. Amen? And then it's important how we engage. And that's my last point to not hold back tears, okay? Not hold back tears. Served with all humility and tears. I admonished each one with tears. At the end, they just, it says they began to weep aloud. It was tearful. What do tears mean? Hyper-emotionalism? That's not what tears mean. Tears means heartfelt connection. I know some people who don't shed tears, but they're more heartfelt and connected than anyone. And I know a lot of people who shed tears, but those tears are coming from a place of shallowness and ooey-gooeyness that they don't really risk to really get engaged. So it's not about the physical thing, right? It's about the heart, all right? Okay, so what, what, did, he, what did he mean here? Okay, remember what Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 4. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you. Paul and Timothy were engaged at a heart level, heartfelt togetherness. Paul says this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you. See his words, point number two, but with not just words of frustration, not words of words with tears. Wrote to you with many tears. Not, not so that you would be made sorrowful, that's not my point, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. The Corinthian church was a challenging group for the Apostle Paul. There was no group more challenged than that group in Corinth. But he loved them, and he didn't withdraw from them. He didn't shrink back. He communicated them openly and honestly. I've opened wide my heart to you. Open wide your heart in return. He says, 
with many tears I wrote to you, having heartfelt togetherness, all right, heartfelt connections that are sincere. Um, if we have togetherness in words but no tears, the family magic is gone. It's legalism. It's duty. But when you have honesty and openness and togetherness with tears, it's where the magic is. It's where the spirit is. Fully invested and deeply connected. We must constantly be fighting against the tendency to make church shallow, to make church religious, to make church dutiful. This is what this, how the spirit moved in Paul. It was this is with deep heartfelt connection in tears. Um, Jesus, let's go ahead and head on into communion, okay? Prepare ourselves for communion by thinking about Jesus. Jesus saw that the world was on fire. The world was in sin and enslaved to it, and it's only getting worse. Jesus saw that I was in sin and enslaved and only getting worse. But he didn't just sit back and say, bummer, let's start over on a new planet. Those guys, their own choice. No, he said, okay, that was the wrong choice to sin and to do evil. But I'm not giving up on them. I'm going to enter myself into that. And I'm going to go in the flesh, and I'm going to become the Lamb of God to take away the penalty and the power of sin through this death, burial, and resurrection. He considered, just like Paul, his life worth nothing to him and therefore went all the way into, through the cross into the grave in our place so that by the power of the Holy Spirit and his resurrection, he could enter into our sin and our shame and our penalty, but now through faith and repentance and baptism into Christ, we can enter into him, amen, and be freed, not just on earth but forever, from the power and the penalty of sin. Let's remember, as we remember Jesus, let's remember where we either are or at once were, that we are in, in our sin, in our shame, and we needed to be set free. We were the child in the house saying, help me, I can't get out. And let's also remember that our world is in that spot largely. And let's have emboldened relationships where we refuse to hold back our togetherness our words in our tears. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray for communion. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your word. It's just so rich, it's so deep, it's so challenging, it's so cutting right to the heart, right into my flesh, uh, my tendency to shrink back and to avoid those difficult conversations to protect the vulnerability of my heart out of fear of looking stupid or dumb. Uh, and and uh, Father, thank you, um, and just that independent desire to, to not want to deal with everything. <laughs> Father, thank you that that word cuts into us and challenges, causes us, calls us to be together, to speak one another, to one another, your words, your truths, and to not hold back even our tears. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he didn't hold back his, his life, he didn't hold back his words. He didn't hold back even his tears as he shed them uh, on his way, on the way to the cross. Father, help us to remember Jesus at this time, to be grateful, to uh, be inspired to be like him. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.